Welcome to Revelation Ancient Prophecy. This series is a detailed, in-depth study of the book of Revelation. You will discover just how relevant to our day the prophecies of Revelation really are. Here is your presenter, Pastor Baron Neustraten. Well, good evening. Uh, again, we're here together to study the book of Revelation, and uh, I, uh, I hope you you will enjoy tonight's presentation and that it, uh, yeah, that it may help you in understanding what is happening and where we are in time. Uh, might I invite you to bow your head as we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can turn to your word once again, that beautiful gift that you have entrusted us with. Lord, that we may know and understand your plan, your will, your ways, and Lord, I pray that we have a good retention, that we may remember, and that we may be able to share with others as well. And for this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so, Revelation, the roadmap, it's a perfect vision of what is happening in this world. Now you remember the first conflict, we talked about chapter 12, we talked about the conflicts as they occur. The first conflict was actually in heaven, war broke out in heaven, as unthinkable as it is. Now we studied the personality of Michael or Michael and who fought with the dragon and his angels and we understood that the name Michael really means who is like God, which is really the whole great controversy. We were introduced to the woman, a woman with child. We could see that the, uh, the ancient uh, Israelites were, of course, the first church, but then it changes into the New Testament church because we deal with a woman with child, her feet on the moon, which is really the Old Testament, uh, close with the sun, which is really the righteousness of Christ, and we have the introduction of the dragon, that is the Satan, the devil, and the attempted murder, as it is so well recorded there in the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter. And uh, the fact that uh, Satan failed is, is a fact of life, and, uh, he, but he tried, right there at the very beginning. And so, the second conflict that arose was when the battle was decided, he was cast down, that was the consequence, he was rejected, and I did point out that the expression to be cast down really means that he was rejected. And he was totally rejected for the second time at Calvary. As the unfallen worlds and heaven observed and saw his conduct, and what he inflicted upon the Son of God, it became plain that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, as Jesus himself had said. And so, he was rejected. This time, not just out of heaven, that happened long before, but he was rejected by other unfallen worlds and by heaven itself, as somebody put so eloquently, the last links of sympathy were broken because of his conduct. Because in this instance, in this instance, he unmasked himself. He showed himself up for who and what he really is. And so the altered tactics that he now employs here are very interesting. 
He altered his tactics to lure the church away from Christ through a counterfeit system. So Satan is going to use a counterfeit system to break up the relationship between Christ and his people. He works behind the facade of a professed Christian organization. And that may not sound like a nice thing to say, but we don't deal with a nice reality. We deal with a reality that is infringing and really, uh, what shall I say, objecting to the biblical truth as we know it. And so, therefore, he is disguising his identity. And so he persecutes the woman who gave birth to the male child. This is the Christian church. And you remember that the serpent, Satan, spewed water, meaning people, out of his mouth like a flood after the woman because he wanted to destroy her, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. That is the persecutions that he initiated, particularly through the supporting secular authorities. That is the whole of the Middle Ages. But the earth helped the woman and we understood that the sparsely populated portions of this planet were so good for the church to hide in. And the earth opened its mouth in a matter of speaking. And so they could still practice their faith and beliefs because of the mountains particularly concentrated at the Alps there in Europe. And the other uh, entity that we referred to was the fastness of the new Americas, where ultimately so many of the Protestants uh, escaped to and went. And uh, it looked so promising that they might have found themselves a home where they have perfect liberty. However, whilst the earth swallowed up the flood, uh, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Uh, and he was angry because he was furious because he failed to destroy the church of the Middle Ages, the church in the wilderness. And so there is a fourth conflict looming. And in Revelation, it says this. We pointed this out last time. He went to make war. In other words, he went away to prepare for the last conflict with the rest of her offspring. And we realize that if you look at the Greek language, that the rest really means the remnant of her offspring, of her seed. And so there is a final conflict, and I think this is vitally important that we understand that there is a final conflict just imminently before us. We talked about the end time church, which really is hallmarked by those who, note this, keep the commandments of God and have the testimonies of Jesus. So in other words, Having the commandments of God is equated also to having the testimony of Jesus. And that is the actual remnant church, the apostolic church as it used to be. And so if we don't keep the commandments of God, we do not have the testimony of Jesus. Here's another interesting thing. If we don't keep all the commandments of God, we still don't have the testimony of Jesus. And so it's good to realize, I think James put it very well. 
it's a text that always stayed in my mind. He said this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one, stumble in one, is guilty of them all. What he means by this, that if you willfully break and knowingly break a commandment of God, you really break them all. Because all ten are given by God. And you can't limit his authority to just nine. That would leave the door open for rebellion, wouldn't it? The other thing that I wanted to point out, that in 550 BC, we're just turning for a minute to the book of Daniel, there is a statement that I really think you should try to understand. It's in the seventh chapter. It's in poetic form, and poetry in the Hebrew language, I might have noted this before, is, is structured by way of parallelisms, and they come in different formats. And this one is called a dovetail, it's locking in. So you have a proposition and another proposition, and then the third line gives you the proposition on a variation of the first one, and the fourth one becomes a variation of the second one. I'll show you, I'll show you. In the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, written around 550 BC, that's when it's dated, there's a vertical and a horizontal action that Daniel observes being performed by the little horn power. And now the little horn power, all the reformers had no difficulty in identifying that little horn power. And that was the papal Rome. That was the Church of the Middle Ages that so dominated and persecuted. Notice, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. It's a he. Pompous words, uh, blasphemous words is, is another way of putting it. It's a, it's a vertical action. And persecute the saints of the Most High, God's people, the church in the wilderness, remember? And that is a horizontal action because it finds place on this planet. Then we come to the third sentence, and shall intend to change times and law. Now, from the Aramaic, because chapter 7 is still in Aramaic, you couldn't tell whether it's a divine law or whether it's a divinely appointed time. It means appointed time, zimnin, and the word law could mean, could mean either, or it could mean an, a, a civil law, it could mean an, a religious law. Let's just leave the third sentence. Let's go to the next one. And the saint shall be given into his hand, the hands of the little horn power, for a time, times, and half a time. Now, here we are on familiar territory, because this obviously is an action horizontally. The time, times, half a time, we already know that, you know that, is of course the 1260 years, and we'll, we'll come back to that. It is so prominent in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. If you look at the first sentence, vertical, the second, horizontal, the last, fourth, horizontal. By the law of the poetic writings, the grammatical structure of the parallelism of the Hebrew poet, you would have to conclude that shall intend to change the times and the law has to be a vertical action 
qualifying the action that explains the pompous, the blasphemous words it speaks. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. And as I said, blasphemous is the same. And he does do so by intending to change the times and the law. Now let me explain something. I'll prove to you that the changing of the law, the changing of the time, and I mean by that, of course, the solemnity of the seventh day Sabbath to the first day of the week, was an act of papal Rome, no question about it. There's also a change in the law. When they make up the Ten Commandments, you will find that number two is left out. And number four becomes number three, and that's just the way it is. But it is interesting that to make craven images and, and, and not bow down before them has been set aside by this institution. And yet it's a law of God, one of the Ten Commandments. So you have two changes, one of them to do away with the Second Commandment, and the other one to change the set times of the seventh day Sabbath to the first day of the week. And when you go to their catechism, you'll find that confirmed. Let's have a look as far as the comment is concerned. And I'm taking you to the converts catechism of the Catholic doctrine. Notice, question, question. Which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. They know that. They know that. So it begs the question, why do we observe Sunday instead of the Sabbath? Well, the answer is this. Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Is that a fact? Oh, absolutely. History confirms that. She is speaking the truth in that regard. She changed it by her own authority, admits her to that. And therefore it's a fulfillment of Daniel 7.25 that this power is the little horn power. If you love me, Jesus said, you what? You keep my commandments. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. His followers were Sabbath keepers. He, as God, handed to Moses 1,500 years before his ministry on this earth, through the Ten Commandments, the specific fourth commandment of the seventh day. But here we have an institution. Here we have an institution that has changed this by its own admission. Remarkable. Now, Let's examine the leading up to that fourth and final conflict that is imminently before us. We need to know. We need to know. Let's, let's find out the main players. We're going to look at the beast of the sea. Have a look at this. Then he stood on the sand of the sea. I'm now going to the first verse of chapter 13. In your Bible it might say, I stood on the sand of the sea. Doesn't really matter, but textual evidence supports he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea. He is looking at the sea, which we understand are the masses of the multitudes, the nations, and the people. 
So let's put it down here that he is standing on the sand of the sea. That is he, therefore, is the dragon and is Satan. So amongst the multitudes, people and nations. That's what we're talking about when we talk about these waters. And I saw a beast rising up from the sea. He sees it rising up, a composite beast, coming out of the multitudes of the people and the nations, having seven heads and ten horns. Seven is pertaining to time, from now till the end of time. It's a fullness of time. Ten is a number. That is a, a number. In fact, if you go to the, uh, the book of Daniel, you'll find that the ten horns that come up from the, from the beast with the last, the fourth one, which is pagan Rome in chapter 7, you will find that these are basically the Western nations uh, as a matter of interest. And on his horns, ten crowns uh, ruling secular authorities. And on his head, each of one of them, a blasphemous name. Blasphemy is really, uh, what shall I say, it's really claiming the prerogatives of God. Let me give you an example. If I sin and I fall short, I have to get on my knees and ask for forgiveness. That's what we do as Christians. And God forgives. God forgives. But in this system, this uh, false system, we have an earthly priest that pronounces ego to absolver. I forgive you. A priest forgiving you your sins, which is a shortfall against God. That's what they do. It's a common practice. It's called absolution, confessions. But that's the prerogative of God and God alone, not any human being. And there are a number. In fact, if you really study the Roman Catholic doctrine, you will find that there is a presumption that is second to none. The papal power would extend itself in authority over angels. Can you believe that? In fact, it goes as far as to say, and I would have sufficient documentation to keep you happy for the next few hours, where the statement is, is offered that the papacy or that the Roman Catholic Church or the priest that is endowed with that capacity to forgive actually precedes God, precedes Christ, who has perhaps the capacity to chase away Satan, but not to forgive. It is in the Roman Catholic doctrine. And I could help you with all the statements. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. And his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now that's interesting. A leopard, a bear, and a lion. Now if you know anything about the book of Daniel, to your mind comes of course the seventh chapter where these three animals, namely the leopard, the bear, and the lion are noted. In fact, there are four entities in the book of Daniel chapter seven. 
And you wonder where maybe the Roman power is, because we understand that the last one is a Roman power. Can I put it to you that these three that are mentioned here in Revelation 13, together, the animal that they make up in its entirety is actually representing Rome, and for that matter, Rome in its two phases. It's fascinating when you look at the order, because if you go to the book of Daniel chapter 7, the one that comes first, of course, is the lion. You understand that, the lion of Babylon. Then we have the, the feet of the bear, the Medo-Persian bear. And then succeeding this is, of course, the leper, representing Greece under Alexander the Great. What is fascinating here, we have the reverse order. And the simple explanation to that is that Daniel, from his perspective, looked into the future. But here we have John on the island of Patmos, and of course, he is looking back. He is looking back during Roman time. He is looking back to the power that preceded Rome, which was Greece, the power that preceded Greece, which was Medo-Persia, the power that preceded Medo-Persia, which was Babylon. So that's the explanation here. But it's wonderful that you can see the connection here between uh, those two books, the book of Revelation and the book of uh, Daniel go hand in hand indeed. Now the dragon gave him his power, this beast, this entity. The dragon Satan, primarily. And so the dragon gave him his power. There's a personification here in the third person singular masculine. Uh, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, that's interesting, his ruling entity, capacity, and great authority. Great authority. Now you remember the second conflict, so not the one in heaven, but the one that found place when, when Satan, through the instrumentation of the Roman soldiers, Herod the Great, wanted to kill the child, Jesus. And uh, we remember that. It was an attempted murder which failed. Matthew, the second chapter, we mentioned this before. And so, pagan Rome, used by Satan, was then employed to do this, but failed. Then, we can also see that through pagan Rome, the bishop of Rome received a lot of authority, civil, and uh, there was certainly also a military support from the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great, say, who in the year 330 AD moved his head office from Rome to Constantinople, but invested a lot of authority in the Bishop of Rome, and that occurred in 330 AD. Great authority is another very interesting statement. In the year 533, Justinian invested all ecclesiastical power of Christendom in the headship of the Bishop of Rome. Now, it took another few years, some five years, before the Bishop of Rome could do and act and use all the authority granted to him in 533 by Justinian, by the destruction, of course, the Ostrogoths, the last Aryan uh, tribes, 
I'm saying the Bible is predicting. And let's remind ourselves. Let's remind ourselves. Revelation. Written in 95 AD. Hundreds of years later. We see fulfillments. We see the fulfillment of the authority, the power, and the fact that papal Rome kept its throne, was given the throne in Rome, which was the locality of pagan Rome. Clearly, Satan working through pagan Rome accommodated papal Rome. There's a statement that is very fascinating. Pagan Rome continues in papal Rome. And that is something to bear in mind. In fact, uh, I, I'm quoting here from A.C. Flick, who made a very good, uh, it's a wonderful book, The Rise of the Medieval Church, very fascinating. Around 1900, he published this book. It's to be found on page 150. Out of the ruins of political Rome, arose the great moral empire in the giant form of the Roman church. And you know what? Many historicy would concur and have agreed with this statement because that is the reality. In fact, I saw one of his heads, this is the beast, so one era of time, um, as if it's been mortally wounded, a mortal wound which we have recognized when on the 10th of February uh, 1798, General Berthier just, just uh, arrested Pope Pius VI, who then died in exile in the south of France. And it's a bit involved, but basically the power of the Roman Catholic Church had come, as it would appear, to an end, and everybody thought it would be finished as an entity. However, it would come back. And boy, did it come back. Indeed, it did. And his deadly wound was healed in 95 AD. The revelator on the island of Patmos, describing the entity of the medieval church that would persecute for 1260 years, said she'd come back after the deadly wound. And, uh, and it certainly is one of the, uh, the occurrences like here in 1929, the Lateran Treaty, or the Treaty of Milan. If you look at this photograph, the clergy that is seated on the right-hand side of the man on the left is Cardinal Casparius, and the one that is left of him is none other than Benito Mussolini on behalf of Victor Emmanuel V, who in 1870 had confiscated the Vatican territory. They're signing a deal here, returning the sovereignty of the 108 odd acres of Vatican City back to the papacy. Amazing. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you wonder why Nazism and National Socialism was not criticized by the Roman Catholic Church for their atrocities that they perpetrated against millions, millions of Jews. The origin for their deafening silence is in this photograph, where she was favored with the return of the Vatican City to her own sovereignty, and she became, be it small, 
initially, but she became a political power. The identity cannot be mistaken. She is religious and political. And that, I think, is the best explanation for what I just mentioned. This is interesting. And all the world, not just some, all the world marveled and followed the beast, the sea beast. Well, that's not the case now. All the world isn't following the beast now. But clearly, according to the Bible, this is imminent future. This is before us. Imminently before us. You say, oh, that will never happen. Well, actually, it will. Whatever the Bible predicts comes to pass because it is inspired. So they worshipped the dragon. I remember the dragon gave the authority, the, the throne, the great power. They're actually in worshipping, following the beast, in worshipping its precepts. They're really worshipping the one who gave them the power. And that is Satan, who gave the authority to the beast. The Bible recognizes that. And he was given the mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. Claiming the prerogatives of God is the blasphemy that we are talking about and already did talk about. And that's true. Go to Daniel 7, verse 8, and look at the descriptions that are absolute parallels here. And there it says in Daniel 7, verse 8, in this horn, the little horn power, papal Rome, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking exactly the same language. Do you know? Exactly the same language. Blasphemous words. Uh, go to verse 25 of the same chapter. He shall speak blasphemous words against the Most High. We talked about that by changing the law and the solemnity of the seventh day Sabbath to Sunday. Predicted a thousand years before she did. And they worshipped the beast, they worshipped the beast, that's the whole world, saying, oh, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? There's no point in resisting. They were following its dictates. And that is not true today, but isn't it amazing? It will be a fact in the imminent future. Very sobering when you consider that every prophecy that the Bible has ever uttered in its chronology has found place. And this will also happen. And he has given, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. There's an identification. Remember the, uh, the 42 months, which is the same like a times, times, half a time? You know by now that in, in prophecy, so a month is 30 days, and then therefore a time, times, half a time, that's three and a half years, is 1260 days. The 42 months times 30, uh, 30 days per month is also 1260 days, and the year day principle applies. We know by now that that is what it means. He was given authority to persecute, shall persecute 
the saints of the Most High, we go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and notice, then the saints shall be given into his hand for what? A time, times, and half a time. We have the same identity here under a different symbolism. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, claiming again the prerogatives of God to blaspheme his name, that is his character. There is a blasphemy against God's character. His tabernacle, that is uh, another word for tabernacle, is sanctuary, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, I could dwell on this for a long time, but the ministry of Christ as we have recognized in past presentation, in the heavenly sanctuary, has been done away with, with this entity, as was foretold already in the book of Daniel, particularly chapter 8, that this entity, Papal Rome, would do just that. He even exalted himself, Daniel chapter 8, verse 11, as high as the prince of the host, that is Christ, he claims to be equality or more in relation to Christ. And by him, the daily, not sacrifice, daily, tamid, continual, the continual service in the holy place was taken away. The forgiveness of sin, the process of sanctification was taken away and has been taken away by this entity. And uh, the place of his sanctuary uh, was completely annihilated as far as Roman Catholicism is concerned. It was cast down, meaning rejected by this entity. And that's sad, because that is anti-biblical, this is anti-Christ, really. And so, it was granted him to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's not something you want to dwell on, but... I think of the activities of the medieval Inquisition. It is unbelievable what happened. The, the cruelty, the, there has never been a candid admission to the millions, the millions and millions of martyrs who were so brutally, brutally put to death by this institution. It is amazing that it ever found place, and it is even more amazing with known history at our very fingertips that this has not been a subject for which really there should be an absolute condemnation and an assurance that this should never, never, never happen again. However, the cruelties permitted then are committed aided by secular authorities, there will be a brief return to this situation. The book of Revelation warns us. Look at this. Authority was given him over every tribe, tongue and nation. That's not true yet. Again, imminent future. It will happen. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, note him, whose names, those who worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. That's interesting. Slain from the foundation, that is the Lamb, 
slain from the foundation of the world, the plan of salvation was put in place before this world was formed and shaped. It's the foreknowledge of God. And so, and so, if anyone has an ear, whenever you read that, pay attention. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall what? Go into captivity. And he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Now, isn't that fascinating when you look at our history and you look at the end coming towards the end of the 1260 years? You know, there, were, there was a, an, an phenomenon that we know as the French Revolution. France, the champion of the Roman Catholic Church. It had ever been its champion. But for this time, of course, they had overreached herself in collaboration with the royalty, the aristocracy. They had abused the masses who then rose up and took revenge and took revenge. And we talked about this in the 11th chapter, which really, again, predicted this. The same place where they used to burn and kill the heretics is the same place where they killed so many of the Roman Catholics, particularly the clergy and those who had um, officiated any functions and the aristocracy. Amazing. Predicted in 95 AD, finding place that towards the end of the 1260 years. America in biblical prophecy. Yeah, I like that. This is fascinating, this is good, this is really good. We have now an introduction of another beast coming out of the earth. Not the waters, the multitudes of the nations, no, no, no. Sparsely populated, empty places. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Notice. He sees the beast coming up. It's a process. He sees the beast coming up out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. There's a contradiction. Two horns like a lamb. I can tell you now, one of them is the democracy. It's the republic. It's political. The other one, of course, is religious. No pope. Freedom of faith and practice. That is why the people went to America. Two horns like a lamb, lamb-like, spoke, however, like a dragon. It arises in a relatively unpopulated re uh, region. Let's look at some of the characteristics. It arises around about 1789 or thereabouts or 1798, like the demise of the papacy. Remember that, you know, at the French Revolution, the papacy was reduced tremendously. A declaration of independence. Look at the dates. This is fascinating. This, you know, was predicted in 95 AD on an island there, somewhere in the Adriatic Sea. Of Incredible how that prediction is coming true. The Declaration of Independence of America was the 4th of July, 1776. Have a look at this. The War of Independence, the War of Independence was won in 1783 and the Bill of Rights was actually passed in 17. 
89. Uh, that's very remarkable. And so, this is what it does. It now entices the world to follow the first beast. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it, notice, to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, if this is America, and I know what you're thinking, and America then is going to side with the, papal, with the papacy and work together to dominate religion, the people, who then will actually worship and follow that beast that was slain and who came back to recovery again. That is interesting. And you might say, now that will never, never happen. Again, can I point out to you that all the prophecies of the Bible have found place in its chronological order, and this prediction is not going to be an exception. There's more, by the way. There will come, according to the seer at Patmos in 95 AD, as he recorded this, so there will be actually a, a complete reversal of the First Amendment. Now, if you don't know what that says, the First Amendment of the Constitution of America, Google it word for word. It's supposed to safeguard the freedom of faith and practice and religion. And it does not allow any, any, uh, any uh, legislation against that very principle. It's the first and foremost. They'll set it aside, the Bible says. They will. He performs great signs. This is the second beast. America by designation, we know that. But by extension, there will be upper state Protestantism. Protestantism that has lost its way, that has compromised. And, and, and by the way, you can study, if you do this, and I could give you so many references, you could study the compromises that have been made by the Protestant churches in favor of Rome. Through Eucharism, they claim to come together again to the glory of God. They come together again, if they do, at the cost of an incredible compromise because the papacy is not compromising its principles. And that is where the tragedy lies. Protestantism, to a large degree, has lost its character and its way. Predicted as it was, that is the truth. He performs great signs. Somehow there are convincing signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Somehow, the, 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 you, you know, when you think of fire coming down from heaven, you think of Elijah. You know, that was wonderful. That was a sign that told the Israelites that it's one God and one God only, the true God, the God of Elijah. At the end time, uh, signs, wonders, and Revelation has many warnings, and we will go through them, are not the hallmark of the will of God, or truth for that matter, as given by God to us in his word. This 
spokes entity like you could say like a prophet a false prophet in fact the book of revelation calls him later on the false prophet in directing the people to follow what was prescribed by the sea beast the papacy the revived papacy it's interesting we should be aware of these things um, and he deceived those who dwell on the earth by those signs. So signs can be deceptive, uh, meant to throw you away or off the of balance, to hide the truth, to distort the truth. Not every sign is from God. Not every wonder is from God, which he has granted, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, the papacy. That's an amazing prediction. Amazing. Now, the beast from the earth becomes the false prophet. There is a collaboration between the papacy and America. And by extension, as we continue in Revelation, you will see that Protestantism that is apostatized and it has lost its way will join as well the beast from the earth and the false prophet will work together there will be an enforced worship and for that you need a collaboration of state and church which means a mechanism to force the mind the conscience which is contrary to the will of god Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. Now, what's the image to the beast? The beast has an image. The image of the beast is to dominate, to enforce, to compel, to worship a certain way. And it uses, it uses and has used, as history tells us, secular authorities to enforce it. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Now, the word here, breath, means uh, an application. It means life. It comes to life because breath represents life. To give life to the image of the beast. And what is the image of the beast? Uh, let me tell you, that is state and church combined. That the image of the beast, and we look at the past, how the secular authorities have supported the medieval church. That is the image. That the image of the beast should both speak, notice, and cause, and this is important, cause, legislating, uh, application of uh, of uh, uh, verification of the law and an insistence of obedience to it, as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And that sounds fantastic. You would say that would never happen today. Couldn't happen. Well, it shouldn't happen. I agree with that. But what I'm pointing to you, and, and let, me, let me candidly admit to you, when I heard this for the first time, I had great difficulty accepting this. But I have learned as I look at all the prophecies from the Bible, how they all have come true. How every one of them in a chronological order has been fulfilled. Now I look at the last 
few prophecies that are imminently before us. And I have come to the conclusion, and I've preached this now for decades, I have come to the conclusion that which has been predicted here, that which is imminently before us, and that it includes this prophecy, it will come to pass. It will. Because the Bible is God's word. And if you follow the changes that have found place in the political religious world, I could stand here for hours and give you information after information. It's happening. And it is a lot closer than you think. It is happening. Unthinkable, a death degree. It will happen. It will happen. He causes all, the false prophet, if you like, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave. There is a, there is a civil, um, what shall I say, enforcement to receive a mark on their right hand. Now that means what you do or on their forehead, what you believe. So we, you either believe it and therefore practice it or you just go it along, do it, do as you're told by this authority. Because to be honest, Satan doesn't mind either way as long as you disobey God, because it is about worship. That no one may buy and sell. Now, this is, this is incredible. That no one, this is globally, that no one may buy and sell. No one may buy and sell. Written in 95 AD on an island of, called Patmos, a global edict that would work. Unthinkable to even write this. But he wrote it. And today, you and I know that this could be implemented in a very short time. The mechanisms are there. Think about your credit. Think about the credit information freely available to authorities and institutions. Except one who has the mark of the name of the beast, you could also, and it's better translated this way, except one who has the mark that is the name of the beast. That's the character. So there is a, a characteristic that you have to accept from the beast, and it has to become yours, because if you don't, you don't buy and sell. What are you going to do? How are you going to live? Here it is, it's the prediction. Or the number of his name, uh, written in Roman times, numbers were job descriptions, if you like. You know, centurion, you know, a leader over a hundred, and they had numbers for magistrates and judges. They all had numbers, because Roman letters have numerical value, as we will see in a minute. The land beast, he performs great signs and I think of what Jesus uh, said. False Christ and false prophets will rise. Talking about the end time, you understand. Just before the end. And show what? Show great signs and great wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand why did Jesus tell them beforehand? Well, when it would come to pass, they would believe. Forewarned, we as a people 
through the Bible are forewarned not to be deceived. I wonder if you could have a look at some of the extension of the text here. Uh, this, this beast performs great signs, notice, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. Now, when I put those two texts together, one from Matthew 24 and the other one here from this portion of the book of Revelation, it is interesting that it for both of them warn us not to be deceived. And in fact, in fact, there is a reason why the very elect are actually not deceived. You know why? Because they study the prophecy that you and I are studying here tonight. The Bible warns us about deception. We need to know. We need to be acquainted. We need to be fortified in our minds with the Word of God that tells us beforehand exactly what will happen. Stay with the Word of God. And that's what we're doing. So that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. We, we went through that text. It seems right. It looks right. It might even feel right. But it is wrong. It is wrong. Paul. The coming of the lawless one. Interesting is according to the working of what? Of Satan. With all power, notice, all power, all signs, all miracles, lying wonders, trying to throw you off the truth, with lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception towards the closing scene of this planet, the deception will be enormous. Enormous among those who perish. And then he makes an observation, because they did not receive the love of the truth. It's not that they didn't receive the, the, the truth, it is they didn't receive the love of the truth. Wow. Jesus says that he is the truth, the way and the life, that they might be saved, they could have been saved, for this reason, he goes on to say, uh, God will send them a strong delusion. Now, God is not sending the delusion, but he's allowing it, and therefore, he therefore accepts responsibility. God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. It's not God's will that they believe the lie, but they do believe the lie because they did not receive the love of the truth. Notice that they might all be condemned for this reason for not believing the truth. If you couldn't know the truth, you won't be judged because of it. Because we are judged according to the light and the opportunity that God grants us. And so by that we will be judged. Those who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. So there is a, there is a decision that it is what shall I say, more preferable to live in unrighteousness and therefore believe a lie. And this is what religion is so saturated with, untruth, to justify, to somehow accommodate living 
unrighteousness. And that is a tragedy. Because that has eternal consequences. Now, through Roman Catholicism, someone said, and I, I really believe this, Spiritism, get it from a book, The Great Controversy, you should read it. And apostate Protestantism, the author said, Satan aims to cause the world to worship him. Because you'll worship the findings and dictates of a deceptive entity. In Ephesians. I'm not just talking about people. This is not, this is not about people. I, and it would seem that, that we would have an antipathy against the Roman Catholic Church. It's not the people. It's, it, the people are wonderful people. Many of God's people are in that church. But you've got to understand that the system is wrong and the system is being used by the enemy of souls. It needs to be said because it is true. As sad as it is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, that is a very revealing text. You should know this text. So who are the end-time players? Well, we'll have an unholy trinity. We will have the sea beast, we'll have the land beast who becomes the false prophet, and we have Satan on the background using the entities. It's an unholy, an unholy alliance. The sea beast of Revelation chapter 13, the little horn power of Daniel chapter 7, and the little horn power of Daniel 8 in the second faith are, as you well recognize by now, one and the same entity, and it has to be recognized. That's the way it is. Very revealing. And we need to know what the enemy of God's people is up to and how they will attack the law of God. It says here in Revelation 14 verse 12, Here is the patience, perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. Remember that that is the hallmark of the end time, the remnant church. That is what they do and the faith of Jesus. Jesus gives us faith, strength. We must obey his commandments, which is what we should do when we love him and are grateful for what he has done. Again, can I remind you that whoever shall keep the whole law, but as, as James said, shall stumble in one, he shall be guilty of all. All that Satan has to do right at the end time, I want you to bear this in mind, all he has to achieve is for you to break one law even though it is available to you, it is open to you to know the truth, all he has to do and wants to do, if he can get you to break one law, that's it. You live the unrighteousness which you prefer because it is dictated. The consequences of going against error are indeed severe just before the end. And so, this is what fascinates people, the 666. It's just another identification mark. It is the number of completion of Babylon. I want you to understand that. And yes, we, we could look further into it, but we're almost at, out of time. 666, when Jesus was crucified, 
there was an, an writing above his head in three languages, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. The charts. He had proclaimed himself the king of the Jews, right? Let's go to the same languages and have a look at who thinks he is God. You say that was Satan. Through an earthly instrumentality, there is an instrumentality that makes the same claims. Vicarious Philidae, in the place of the Son of God. Look at the numerical values. We'll just, uh, won't go through them one by one, but when you add them up, and I would challenge you to do that. Six, six, six. Now the Bible says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, see beast, for it is the number of what? A man. So you have to calculate it. Get this right. You have to calculate it and it belongs to a man. So it's fairly straightforward. And the number is 666, the Bible says. Here is another one. Dux clearly, the head of the, the clergy. It's also Latin. Uh, you, you can add that one up and you come to exactly again, and that's predictable, you get 666 here as well. Now we go to a different language. This is the Hebrew. Romiti or Romith also adds up to 666. All letters in, in the Hebrew alphabet, or alphabet have numerical values. Then you go to another expression in the Greek Latinus, which means Roman people, and you get exactly the same. 666, because some of their letters have numerical value too. Amazing, amazing when you think of it. Next week. Next week we're going to look at what is called the three angels message, which really becomes the earth final warning message. So we should know this one. Um, we will also learn about harvests, two harvests right at the end of the age. There will be two harvests. And it's very important that you are in the right harvest. Because that means it's the end. That's the entrance of eternity that we look forward to. And so, there is a lot of ground to cover. A lot of information to absorb. Realities that seem to be complete unrealities today. Can I urge you to accept the word of God? as it warns us in regards to the closing times, the closing scenes of this planet. God wants you to know, he wants you to be prepared, that as you know and as you are prepared and you connect with him, you trust Jesus. I like to think all of us made it through that final time and re safely reach the other shore. That would be good. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been able tonight to study the book of Revelation once again. And Lord, we know there are many, perhaps people that consider this to be sometimes impossible. But we know that your word is truth. And that whatever your word teaches us and whatever your prophets have prophesied will come to pass. And Lord, I earnestly pray that each and every person within hearing of this lecture here tonight may submit to the counsel that is given 
and accept the truth as it is in your word. We have allowed your word to interpret itself and we thank you for teaching us to do so. Lord, that we may be confident and sure. And so I pray for the, the well-being of every person here, that we uh, all might commit ourselves to your will, to your ways. Lord, that one day we will soon see Jesus return again, and that we may be prepared, that we may be ready for his coming. This is our earnest prayer, and we pray this in his very precious name. Amen. You've been listening to Revelation Ancient Prophecy with Pastor Baron Neustraten, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio. For more information on this series, visit waitarachurch.org.au.